Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to the Colts Cover 2 podcast. I am Joel A. Erickson. I'm joined, as always, by Nate Atkins. Uh, This is the last Colts Cover 2 podcast before the summer break. The Colts broke. We are taping this on Thursday, June 15th. The Colts broke camp uh, yesterday uh, on the 14th with uh, one of my favorite things. They had offensive linemen and defensive linemen catch punts. Uh, I do agree with Shane Steichen, though. They did not make it hard enough on them. Um, they shot number one. They shot it out of the uh, the jugs machine. Which yeah, that, that that's where you really wish that uh, you really wish Rigo was a little bit further along yeah. in his recovery. Just that he he could have really messed with the the timing of these uh, linemen who are not used to fielding punts. Yeah, when the Saints, when I was covering the Saints and the Saints did the same thing, um, what they did was they had they had three guys had to catch it from Thomas Morstead, who at the time was one of the best punters in the league, and hit these moon balls that came down straight. Um, that that would have been more fun. They, they kind of shot it out of the jugs machine. Although I will say, and so like he said, he was going to give them each three tries: an offensive lineman, a defensive lineman, each three tries catch it. Uh, they both caught it on the first one. It was, it was too easy. Um, but I will say Matthew Vanderslice, the offensive lineman, looked pretty natural doing it. Like he, he settled under the ball pretty well. Uh, uh, we, uh, we, we're still getting to know Shane, and, and I, but I wanted, to, I wanted to try to joke with him and ask if, uh, if Matthew Vanderslice is going to challenge Isaiah McKenzie for the punt returner spot now. Because we haven't, I haven't seen Isaiah return many punts yet, but I've seen Matthew Vanderslice do it, and uh, I'm pretty impressed. I like that. I like that. That would have been a good question. The, uh, we're going to try in this podcast to just kind of wrap up what we saw, what the storylines are as uh, as we as we come out of mandatory minicamp here. Um, like like we said, the Colts are, gonna, are on a break now. We're uh, Nate Nate and I are going to be on a break. Um, you know, even even the Colts coaching staff, which is almost always at work, I know for a fact is going to be off for almost a month here. Uh, this is the one time of year on the NFL calendar that they get to spend time with their families. Um, so I think I think the biggest thing, though, coming out of yesterday was just Jonathan Taylor. Um, Jonathan Taylor, we asked I asked him first about just what's going going on around the league. For those of you who don't know, um, Dalvin Cook was released. Ezekiel Elliott was released. Both of them in in big in the middle of big contracts. Cooks maybe more surprising given he was still highly productive. Um, Saquon Barkley has not signed his franchise tag and uh, expressed frustration with the Giants leaking that he had turned down offers uh, last last week. Um, and then uh, Josh Jacobs, the, the Raiders running back, also has not signed his franchise tender. So there's there's a standoff going on essentially between the, the league's best running backs and the teams they play for. And and it's, it hasn't been as big a news yet because he's not in the franchise tag window or anything like that. But Jonathan Taylor is a part of this. 
uh, he, he is eligible for a contract extension starting essentially right now. Um, as soon as his third season in the NFL finished, he was eligible to sign a contract extension. This is the time when the Colts have signed these players in the past under Chris Ballard. And, and he essentially just said, I hope the organization sees the value. Um, he, he said he sees what's going on around the league. He, he said it's sad and it sucks that running backs are no longer valued, um, but he feels like they still bring a lot of value to the team. He hopes the organization sees that and signs him. Um, he said it's kind of on them right now, which I took to mean that they've that his camp has said what they want, uh, and the Colts he have not met it yet. Um, yeah, but the switching of agents is an interesting part of it too. Because, uh, you know, whenever you switch agents during a contract negotiation, that usually is an indication uh, that you don't love how the negotiations are going or you want to go in a different direction. He brought in, you know, the agents that worked in the deal for uh, Shaquille Leonard. So it was interesting to me that he cited that trend that the Colts have rewarded players on this team that have shown their value. That's I mean, he's used, literally using the agents who helps do one of those deals. It was just interesting. I wasn't over there for for Taylor when he was doing that. They split up interviews and and we're we're off at different different people at different times. But I went back and watched video and it that was the most that Jonathan has really ever gotten into kind of his you know really talking about his value and his his importance. And, you know he tends to be a very deflecting and humble guy, but this is a moment where like you you have to take ownership in order to to kind of get the kind of contract that, that, that you want security you want. And you know, what this ultimately is, is like, he just wants to, he wants to keep doing this. And he kept bringing up, you know, he, he kept bringing it back to the team. He wants to do it for the team, which is, that's what it is. It's a contract. So it's a marriage between player and team. And he wants to be here and be a part of this new wave with Anthony Richardson, but he wants that promise, you know, earlier than later. And I think what you could see him, He's looking around the league as he's noted on, on other guys and situations they're going through. You get a little worried about, you know, a guy like Josh Jacobs. The Raiders, you know, they had the the fifth year option on him because he was a first round pick. They declined that, you know, the idea they were going to move on. But then he had his best year last season. So then they franchise tagged him. And this is kind of the the scary situation that that running backs get into is this idea that their their mileage is going to get used up that they're going to be run into the ground intentionally by teams that haven't made that commitment yet that aren't thinking about their long-term future because they haven't made a long-term commitment to them whereas the difference is you look at you know some of the guys that have signed so far so the top two in the market top two contracts out there Christian McCaffrey and Alvin Kamara and both of those guys have, have dealt with injuries so that it goes to show that it can it can happen either way but one of the differences there is the idea of paying those two players 15 million, the reason a team would be willing to entertain that for a running back is that those two guys are very developed receivers. And so there's an emphasis then on the team and the, the play calling to kind of extend the shelf life. Like the more that you use them as receivers, the more that you kind of split up their workloads, you can kind of extend their life. Now, I don't know that the Panthers did the best job with that. But the 49ers are doing the best job with that. Just last year, Christian McCaffrey played all 17 games, and he's now, in a, including the playoff run that the, the 49ers had, he's in a position now in the Kyle Shanahan's offense where you can see them getting value for that. 
And then that works for both of them. You know, the 49ers are contender because of all the Kamara, uh, all that McCaffrey can do. And McCaffrey's happy. He's getting his money and his security. And he'll take the pounding within those guidelines. So, you know, it's very easy for these contract negotiators, I feel like, to get spun where you're either on the side of the team or the side of the player. Really, though, there's a way there's got to be a middle ground here for these, which is what seems like what Taylor's hinting at trying to get to is because he had a quote that said, hopefully they can see the value. Hopefully we can explain the value, not that it needs explanation, but just explain that, like, there's a way to build a contract to where he's adding a lot of value to this rookie quarterback and Anthony Richardson in the run game they're trying to build that's similar to the Eagles at the same time, though. It would be like to really get the most out of that in the long term. He'd like a promise and a commitment from the organization that also has them looking for his, you know, best health and best interest going forward to keep him alive and not just run him in the ground for another year or two before his contract runs out. I thought it was an incredibly fair and smart way to to talk through it on Jonathan's part and it's something new we've seen from him. But I was I was just really impressed that he was willing to go that far. One key piece is something you said. I, I want to make sure we're not reporting that talks were going badly, and that's why he changed agencies. Um, because often in the NFL, like sometimes it has to do with the, with contract talks. Sometimes it just has to do with guys coming to the league with an agent who's not as established, and then they get in the locker room and they talk to their teammates. And as they get close to contract time, they make the move. Just going, I don't know if this if this if a smaller agent. Um, can get me the big deal. So we don't know that for sure. It could be that that could be the case. We don't know that for sure at this point. I I think one of the things that I think about with Taylor, beyond what he said, um, we're not really at the breaking point yet. I mean, it, it it kind of feels like that. I think because you know Taylor doesn't usually say much about his contract, or previously hadn't said much about his contract, and now he did. But in reality, and and Taylor himself referenced this. They've this this organization has a history of paying players that they believe are stars at non-premium positions um, before they get to the end of their rookie contract. And the one piece of history that he didn't necessarily say there is almost always it happens in about two or three months. Two months? Yeah, two months. Uh, two months would put you at August 15th. That's that's kind of the 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 uh, I don't know what the median point is, but Ryan Kelly, Braden Smith, Shaq Leonard, Quentin Nelson last year, who signed the night before the season opener, they they the Colts tend to do to get this stuff done um, in the middle of training camp or right before the start of the regular season. So um, I think if they get to the regular season and Taylor is not signed, and what obviously it'll be a storyline throughout camp as long as he's not signed. But if the regular season starts and Taylor's not signed, that's that's kind of when you go to DEFCON 1 or 2 or whatever whatever you want to go to on this. Because the history of the Colts under Chris Ballard is they do pay their own players and they do it uh, after the team comes back from this summer break they're about to embark on. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's in a good position to, you know, it, it's not serious yet. And I, uh, but, but he is, I think he... What is serious is just kind of the state of running back contracts in the league. And it's one of those where like these players, they're, they're friends, they have friends throughout the league, friends at the position, they share agents and they kind of wear this together in some ways where these deals kind of create precedent. Uh, and so like Taylor, you know, 
getting this done, obviously his, his priority is to be here and to set up. He just got married this off season. Um, he's trying to make this a long-term home, all of that. But there is something that like he can kind of help out the running back market a little bit by kind of working through this. Cause it's been, it's been tough. You see, uh, you see Najee Harris is kind of sounding off about it and he's, you know, he's a guy that's going to sign in a couple years, but there is sort of a trepidation of like, can running backs anymore in this passing league get find the security and find you know find the the compensation for what they add because obviously obviously we know running backs are not what they were you know to a football team you know even 15 20 years ago but that doesn't mean that they aren't incredibly valuable it's just like what, what I think what these players fear is that like if they get run you know there's certain mileage markers here it's kind of like a car and if you just kind of run it all in just a couple seasons and then move on to someone in the draft you know they, they feel like they didn't get really what they they were there for so an example with the colts is that why i've advocated for extending taylor is i think he's going to be very valuable to anthony richardson in that anthony you know they they want to run a very run heavy offense at the start we know anthony will be involved in that my fear is that if they put a ton of that on Anthony, they're going to have some quarterback design runs, but if it's too much, you're going to get it, you know, you're going to expose him to injury risk. And if he's not on the field, he's not developing as a passer in practice. He's not building that chemistry with his receivers. And so you're trying to take, and that's happened. He got injured in college and in high high school and uh, missed significant parts of seasons in both levels. So Taylor's to me is very key for that is, you know, you can use uh, Richardson's, Kind of the deception, the, re- the threat of him running in some of these, you know, read option looks, these, uh, especially near the goal line short yardage. And Taylor could be the guy that is taking the actual load of that, the physical pounding. He's a little bit, you know, he's more built for that, a little bit more mature player and obviously different position. And I think he's like, he, he sees that that's what's going to happen. There's been a lot of talk of how lethal this run game can be. He just wants it to, he doesn't want it to break him, you know, before he gets paid. And you can totally, totally understand doing that. Um, that's what it just, it's just kind of interesting inflection point for the running back position, because I do think they're very valuable pieces, especially with a young quarterback. I think about like when Dak Prescott got thrown in to step in for Tony Romo after an injury, it's a fourth round pick rookie quarterback on a team with playoff aspirations. Zeke Elliott was a huge part of making that, you know, something where he could thrive as a rookie, but not carry the entire offense and not take all the pounding with his legs and still find value out of it. So I think there's a lot of value to these backs right now, but they're just trying to find a way to make the dollars play into that and extend their life. Another guy that thought about this in a similar way is Debo Samuel, who of course is a wide receiver, but he plays a lot of running back type roles sometimes a lot of carries and his big thing why his contract negotiation really blew up a year ago is where he said i know i'm going to take a pounding in this offense that's totally fine i just want my money guaranteed and he ended up getting a 71 million dollar deal but 58 million of it was guaranteed so the rate wasn't astronomical but he said okay you can you can use me however you want and i won't complain about the role i just want to know that that money is guaranteed and i think that's where a lot of these players are right now the other thing that was interesting, I think, was I asked, I actually wasn't trying to ask Shane Steichen with the contract, but it ended up mattering later. Um, I asked him, you know, what in an age, it, I was trying to essentially ask him in an age when everyone says all running backs are interchangeable, 
what can an elite running back add to the offense? And he he kind of de- he kind of defined it the way, um, really I defined it, um, going back to Taylor's big year with 1811 yards, uh, two seasons ago when he when he was the other is is if he said there's a lot of guys that can get you three or four yards of carry, and I think that's the interchangeable running back type that we're talking about when when people are talking about you don't need to pay a running back. Most of them are just interchangeable. You can get guys who can get you three, four yards pop. Um, he said the difference is when you have guys that can create explosive plays. And two years ago, that was Jonathan Taylor. Now, last year, the run game, the, the offensive line was not the same. His ankle wasn't the same. He, was, he wasn't that kind of player. But I do think, and I think that the, the 2021 season is an example of how exceptional he can be because he led the league in basically – Every distance explosive run. He led the league in yards of 70 or more, 60 carries of 70 or more, 60 or more, 50 or more, 40 or more. When he's right and he's healthy, he's he it does have that explosive capability that Shane Sykin is looking for. Um, what the Colts have to decide is, you know, do they think that this high ankle sprain that he had is going to be something that's going to rob him of that going forward? If not, I keep thinking here that the, the deal is either guarantees or maybe you pay a little bit more in uh, APY and only give him a three-year deal if you can, uh, the way the Browns did with Nick Chubb, you know, mm-hmm. because, you know, people always talk about in terms of running back can't take up part of too much of your cap. Well, Anthony Richardson's on a rookie deal for the next, probably the next five years, um, at least the next four years. And so if you wanted to pay uh, Jonathan Taylor a three-year deal, you're not even getting into the quarterback salary the way you might have to. So the other thing is the Colts, and this is a we don't have to go through this discussion again, but the Colts usually don't do very much in free agency anyway with their cap space. So you're not taking up a ton of it. So I think there's a way that they can do this. Um, I think it just comes down to – what essentially what Steichen was saying, you know, when Taylor is that explosive running back um, who's who's ripping off big gains, it, he definitely takes the offense to a different level. I mean, let's be honest that that offense or uh, the, the way the passing game was in the second half of the 2021 season, the Colts shouldn't have had a chance at the playoffs. And Taylor essentially gave that to them. And if you have that, especially with a young quarterback, especially with Anthony Richardson, that's pretty valuable. And I think that's probably what Taylor was talking about. It's just going to be a question of whether or not they can get the numbers to where him and his agent want it. Yeah, I think it's a good point about the ankle injuries coming off surgery. So he hasn't been out there in this, you know, very voluntary and light off season mode. Maybe that's where like, as we get into training camp, you know, they, they can maybe get a better read on that, see him out there in that setting. You know, when these deals usually go down at the end of training camp, you know, that's at least, three, four weeks of getting to see that explosiveness back in him again. Uh, back, and He can look like that guy from 2021. I think the one other thing, though, that they have to work through a little bit that, you know, you look at Taylor, we know how amazing he is as a runner. There's really the, the highest ceiling of any runner in the NFL in terms of what he's put out there in production. I think there's more, you know, you could argue there's more to him as a receiver than we've seen because of just how kind of clunky the passing game has been the fact that you know Naheem Hines 
had a lot of that role. I think Taylor's shown a little bit of that. The area, though, that I think might hold him back or give some trepidation is the pass protection. It was really, really, really a problem last year for Taylor. I'm not entirely sure why that was, but it was there's so much going on with their pass protection as a whole, but it, it, it did fall on him some. And that is one of those areas where as they build out this offense with Anthony Richardson, you know, they have to get him in the most comfortable space, get him protected. You know, we talk about extending his time here and keeping those big shots off of the quarterback that would get him injured. And that's one of those areas where I think Taylor, he could show a little bit more than he's shown so far. And those guys that have gotten paid have all mostly been capable of that, at least if if not overly capable. That's where like third down tends to get guys that highest, highest mark. That's Christian McCaffrey and Alvin Kamara. That's something where you know, I don't know. If, I don't. I don't know what what Taylor's camp says on that. If they thought last year was just a down year for it, if it was more about the instability of the entire offense, because they all kind of struggled in pass pro. But that is the one area where I could see the Colts looking at just the player and saying, you know, we like a lot of what you offer. We, we we're just not entirely sure what it's all worth when one of the most important areas is kind of his one weakness right now. What they've said, um, what the what what ownership and, and Jen, Chris Ballard said in his postseason press conference um, when he was asked, "Can you give a pay a running back top dollar?" He said, "When they're a great player, you can. Uh, when they're a special playmaker, you can." Jim Mercer mentioned Taylor twice at the owners' meetings um, and just saying that one of the priorities this season has to be getting him right and back to his explosive playmaking ways. Um, so at this point. At this point, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't say there's any kind of um, standoff, despite what, you know, because even, even in Taylor's comments yesterday, he, he did keep saying that, you know, this organization has always paid guys. Um, so it was, he wasn't taking a lot of the shots he was taking were more at the league more than anything else. Um, but it's definitely going to be something to monitor as we go forward. Um, want to move along to some of the other stuff. We've now seen a handful of practices with Anthony Richardson uh, playing now. Still not a lot, not enough to have a formula. Not enough to say this is what's going to happen as in his rookie season. Training camp probably won't be the same way. You probably won't fix that either. But I, 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 you'll have to tell me what you thought. I thought that what we saw from Richardson was kind of what I expected based on what I, what I knew of him. Um, you know, the accuracy is something that needs to be fixed. It is an issue right now. Uh, I will say I don't think that there were a ton of throws or de- I shouldn't say throws. I don't think there were a ton of decisions that I remember from the practice sessions that we saw where I felt like he was Jameis Winstoning some balls into coverage. Like I generally felt that where he was throwing the ball was was it seemed like pretty much the right read. Um it, there were a few that were late, but I, I don't know that there was a ton of like force balls and triple coverage. Um, but the accuracy definitely is a thing. Um, the the, ac- the accuracy is a problem just because uh, they, uh, they, they, it, they there's been some misses uh, on throws that have to be made. Yeah, and, and of course we got to emphasize this is 
not only is this practice, this is very watered down, very early forms of practice. This is supposed to be, this is as bad as he should look, you know, if, if this is going to be a progression, even though quarterback progression is not linear, I still think this should be in terms of the accuracy and the mechanics and consistency of throwing the, the time when he is the most rusty because he did just turn 21 and all those lack of experience things, the 13 starts of high school, those are showing up in certain ways. He's working super hard through it. You know, t- teammates talk about how, you know, they walk in and he's got his head buried in, in the iPad and in the notes. And so he's, you know, he, he's working through this, but there's going to be some struggle along the way. And we have seen that where there are times where he's a little late throwing. There's other times what they all give him credit for is when he misses too. it seems like, like he is trying to keep the ball out of harm's way. So when he does tend to, you know, not hit like a downfield throw or a sideline throw, he, it, it kind of tends to loft out of bounds. There've been a couple, just a couple where there have been, kind of double coverage in the end zone sort of take a shot but it's like his receivers coming down with it or nobody is which is kind of a good fit on a team that's got so many guys who are you know six three and taller pretty much everyone outside of josh downs that he's going to throw to is like that so there is sort of an awareness of like you know live to play the next down in him uh really i've liked a lot of the the awareness i've seen out of him in terms of both that stuff on the field and also just the way he's talked through the position i think he's grown a ton just from when we talked to him first at the combine and I went down to Florida and got to hear from him, we're seeing this kid grow up in real time faster this spring than probably he's ever, ever had in his life in this kind of condensed period. But like a comment he had the other day that uh, really stood out to me is when he was talking about how his whole goal is to fix all these areas so that he is known as something more than just that freak at the combine who wrote his athleticism and was just a better athlete than people. And he's, you know, he talked about how, you know, everybody in the league is running four, 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 fives, four, sixes. He said, just because I'm fast doesn't mean I can run around people because they're fast as well. Uh, he wants to be, uh, he wants to go out there and play quarterback and not just be a freak athlete that knows how to throw the ball far. So he's, he seems totally aware of the stuff that we're talking about, which is that there are gaps in his accuracy and his just kind of knowledge, you know, how fast he sees certain concepts, but it's supposed to be that way. But you know, he, he he's not a guy that seems content with just being here uh, or just writing these gifts. He he really wants to work at this stuff. So he's excited to get after some of the fundamentals and the, the mechanics as his coaches are. And that's really what they were looking for. So it is rusty right now. But I think on the process level, on the kind of the work ethic and focus level, this is also what you hoped for that you'd be getting out of this kid. Yeah, and I think some of the throws he was late on, I mean, I think every rookie is probably late on some throws. You know, yeah. and they will be. I mean, that's that's part of it's there's you know, Ballard said this and he's he's right. Um there there's not a lot of rookies that just hit the ground running perfectly and they don't have any mistakes, you know. So some some of that stuff is probably you wanna note it, but I, I don't think it was any a big take like a big like, okay, this is gonna be a huge issue going forward. Um, at least to me, from the the little bit we saw, the, the only thing I saw was the accuracy, and we kind of all, I think most people kind of knew that that might take some time. Um, you know, it was it was always going to take some time to to fix that. Uh, yeah, I think the one thing that it has shown is that it is what I expected, but I do think there was and it seems like you expected what a lot of us expected, but there there was a narrative that took off, and this happens with draft hype, but 
with some of the people that were very pro Anthony Richardson. And look, there's uh, it's tons of upside to fall in love with with this kid. But I did feel like there was some of the narrative that was almost acting like the accuracy wasn't an issue, that it was just Florida's receivers were bad. Florida's scheme wasn't that good. Like he'll just step in and none of that'll be an issue. Like at the end of the day, when you start 13 games above high school and you've gone through the instability that he went through there of a coaching change and a scheme change and starting quarterback late with an undeveloped roster, like there are going to be things he has not, he's not ready to do. This league is incredibly hard where we see accomplished passers come into it every year and not, not be able to do it all, not be able to, you know, when defenses eventually when defenses are gearing up to stop you and make you do the throws they think they know are hardest for you to do, like it, it really tests how good you are there. So I felt like the case for him at times was kind of just brushing off the concerns where if you want to fall in love with the upside in the long term growth potential of a guy who seems very, very locked into it, totally understand that. I think that's a great reason to pick him at number four. But I do think these prices have shown that, like, that it wasn't a mirage that he threw and completed 53% of his passes. It wasn't all his fault, of course. Maybe it's a little bit, you know, it was a little tied to some things around him. But it wasn't like this was a 70% passer that was just in a bad offense. This is a young kid who's got to get a lot, lot better at this. And he knows that. And they seem to know that, too. And that's that's just all part of the deal of getting him there. Um, Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I can't wait till we have training camp practices when we're getting, you know, 15 throws per practice instead of seven and 11 on 11. Um, I'm ready to see day after day after day. We didn't really get that. The most we got back to back was two days. Um, you know, that's it's not a lot. Uh, I think he threw 13 passes in 11 on 11 over the last two days. That's That's what he'll get in a lot of just single practices and training camp. So uh, excited to see what happens when they get to that point. I feel like in terms of getting drawing impressions, you obviously get better ones in training camp. Um, but like what I kind of, where I, bringing it back to where I started, kind of what I expected from Richardson to start. Um, I will say this, like there's been some, when, when we tweet out like how he did during practice or his numbers or anything like that, I've, I've seen a little bit of pushback say, from people saying uh, it's just practice or I can't believe we're charting this. Let leave him be. I, we can't. Yeah. <laughs> it's just there's no way around it like this. I charted Philip Rivers. I charted Matt Ryan. I charted Carson Wentz, charted Jacoby Brissett. Like this is this is just the way it goes in the NFL. And it's heightened even more for, because it's a quarterback uh, draft pick. And for every person, I would say that for every person who thinks we should we shouldn't write about it or shouldn't care about it or shouldn't chart about it, I would say there's probably 40 who want us to and want to know what's going on and what it looks like. So we're gonna chart. That's our job. Our job is to tell you what happened. It's not if I if I if it's the third day of training camp and my observations say Anthony Richardson was four of 13. Don't that doesn't mean that I'm saying unless I explicitly write this like it's that's just the numbers. It's just what happened. It's not a prediction. It's not a um, so it's not me saying this is what's going to happen for the rest of his career that 
it, but it's part of the job. Part of the job is to figure out, uh, and part and, and it's part of it is what fans want too, in terms of you want to find out the steps. And so we're going to chart the passes, and we're going to tell you what looks good and what doesn't. That's that's NFL quarterbacking. That's just what it is. Yeah, and it's it's also the NFL wants it because that's why these practices are open to the media. Is that the NFL wants coverage of the sport this time of year when it is light and low stakes and it's practice. That's all true. And like everything we you know, Twitter is light on space and even lighter on context and lighter on nuance. And so, you know, when we write this in stories, every time I try and emphasize, like we have on this podcast, that this is practice. So we talk more about like when he goes 413, it's just more understanding that in the context of how it happened and why it happened and what he's working on. And, and like every day they work on something different. That's what practice is. And ultimately, this is all just going to be in the moment things like this is what it was on June 13th. And so what happens on Twitter, though, is that context gets lost and things get retweeted in October when a player's struggling or players doing really well and saying, you know, what happened to this or or vice versa. He's doing well now. Someone's going to bring it up when he doesn't play well. Nothing has anything to do with it, because all we're doing is you telling you what happened on June 13th. And this is why I just emphasize to people to you know, subscribe to the Indy Star and follow all the coverage because you'll see this. This is just we're kind of tracking it from the very beginning to however far it goes, however high he gets on his scale of upside or, you know, or, or how long he has to wait to get on the field, whatever, however it ends up going. We're just kind of documenting the history. And also, you know, we'll have takeaways from it over a long period of time. All I really have right now is that, you know, we like what we said, which is, you know, it's it's what he was advertised on in terms of his strengths and weaknesses coming into the league. And I like his process, but I've got no predictions for you beyond that. You know, at some point we have to draw conclusions on a quarterback. But this whole year is going to have to kind of walk this balance because there's even going to be times even one year out of a player is not going to answer for us. Like, can he be a superstar or is he you know, just going to be an average player? Like, we'll have a f- better feel for it. But. It's a it's a long evaluation. It's just like people on Twitter, because it's such a such an in the moment, up to date, up to speed type of operation. I just feel like they want instant answers right now. And you're going to see it a lot in training camp, especially the fantasy football community. They've got drafts coming up. They want it. They want answers on. Is this guy going to be the star? And ultimately, if you ask us that, the answer is always going to be our evaluation is incomplete because it is practice. And we're just documenting it because. The NFL wants us to, the fans want us to, and ultimately they may not admit it, but the players want us to because all this attention, all these people with all these eyeballs on the, a sport in June in practice just goes to show you why there's so much money getting pumped in this league and why players get paid what they do. So it's really all a positive at the end of the day, even if at times on Twitter it can be spun as a negative. Um couple more storylines, and we're getting short on time here, um, but we're, we just want to run through a couple more storylines go go forward. Um, this roster, to me, still looks thin in several places, um, specifically the offensive line, especially at tackle. Um, it looks thin to me right now. Uh, cornerback, in the wake of the Isaiah Rogers gambling investigation, looks even more thin than it looked before. Um and the safety, the depth of safety depends on Nick Cross's development. So if, if Nick Cross is a 
factor this year where he wasn't last year, then I think you've got if he can be a starting caliber safety, then you have three of those, and that's that's pretty good. Uh, if he's not, then then it's pretty then it's a lot thinner. Um, but but cornerback and offensive line for sure are spots that I I don't love the depth right now and um and I'm still surprised that they didn't address, haven't addressed it more so far. Yeah, depth is a good way to to pin it down because as we go through this, I do think there's room for players to su- surprise us, individual players. Roddy Thomas last year was one of those who did that would never have factored him in at this point in the year to being something that he was. But overall, like the overall package of it in, in the number of bodies and experience they have at those spots is very telling. It's getting worse by the week, whether it's Daniel Scott going on IR, takes a safety out of the mix, whether it's obviously Isaiah Rogers. Uh, as we've talked about, you know, that that drops one of their few experienced cornerbacks. It's just kind of moving guys up who are lower levels of depth and, um, this is where they, they should sign somebody. We've kind of been through that on our last podcast. But I will say, though, that I, while I'm concerned about the overall kind of package, the way that, you know, can they can they nail all these spots and have experience and readiness at all of them? One guy I was kind of impressed with, though, was Dallas Flowers. Like, Dallas is out there making plays. He had a pick six on Gardner Minshew yesterday, full extension of his body to get to the ball. He had one of those plays on the sideline where he just kind of leaped up and swatted it away. And you're seeing sort of a mix of a guy who's uh, 6'1", so it's good size, but also the speed to lead the league and kick return average for the sports sample he was in there last year. And let's, we'll kind of see how it plays out. Is I mean, it's just early on, but it's an interesting guy to step in for Isaiah Rogers if that's how it plays out because the path's kind of similar. You know, small school guy, Isaiah was a six-round pick, Dallas was undrafted, but both started as kick returners before they got chances at cornerback. And Dallas, I was talking to yesterday, he's super, he's always been really confident, but he's really confident that like he can make this happen at corner. So I do think there's a little bit more potential there than maybe I had thought just a couple weeks ago, just in terms of guys that have that raw natural ability and focus and confidence. But I agree that the overall package, like they got a lot of spots like this where they, they need too many of those guys to hit to be, you know, at a competent level. That's where I think they're going to need to sign some veterans. But it's also where when you get into training camp, we can really get to evaluate the readiness of some of the guys that, frankly, we haven't even seen out there, like Juju Brents and, and Darius Rush. Uh, there's a lot of guys that are going to have to have a lot to prove. Yeah. Um, other storylines. I'm not super concerned about Michael Pittman Jr. or Jonathan Taylor's health yet. Pittman, in in particular, we saw running routes at the end of practice yesterday. Um, he didn't practice with the team, but he was running routes. So that one I'm really not concerned about. Taylor seemed fairly confident that he'll be ready to go for training camp. I think I think the one that you, you wonder about is Shaq Leonard, and it, it doesn't have anything to do with his desire or anything like that. It's just, it's been a long time. It's a, it's a different kind of injury. Um, it's a, it's a difficult kind of injury. And he, he promised like the thing is he did, he did tell us this was going to happen. Like I, a lot of people have, have seen that he's not practicing and been like, Oh, here we go again. He told us multiple times that he was going to take his time 
with the injury this time and make sure that he was all the way back before he stepped back on the field. So uh, I don't know that it's, I don't know. I don't think it's surprising that he hasn't um, practiced, but he's just, he's been out a long time with a, with a fairly unique injury. And when we get to training camp, that'll be one of the first questions we ask Chris, ba- Chris Ballard's always the first press conference. That'll be one of the first questions we ask Ballard is, is, Hey, where's Shaq at? You know, what's what's his what's his body at? And it's it has it has more to do with the uniqueness of the injury than anything else for me. Yeah, I think there's questions with some guys on when they'll be back and also at what level, because for Shaq, a lot of this has been not just getting back, but getting back to the maniac, that supremely athletic playmaker, uh, because the, the little bit he was out there last year, he said in his own words, he felt like he hurt the team because he wasn't that guy again. So it's about like what at what point do they get him not only back, but but that kind of back. And that's true for other guys. I think about that with uh, Rodrigo Blank or uh, Rigoberto Sanchez mixing them up here. Uh, Rigo, you know, he, he tore the Achilles on his punting foot. Feel, seems to be in good spirits, but just curious, curious to see what that's like for a punter. Drew Ogletree is another one who suffered the ACL uh, tear last August. Hasn't been out there, but he's. He's uh, he's always like kind of catching passes and doing a little bit on the side. I know he's excited to get back out there, but just kind of see how quickly these guys jump back into it. Um, that that'll be interesting to see in training camp. But for the most part, I, I don't have huge concerns outside of Shaq, just because we we just don't know that it's such a weird injury. But there's none of these other ones that I look at and think like, you know, I, I don't know that we'll see him in camp. You know, there's. I don't know that we're at that with anybody, quite honestly. So it's just they had a lot of guys in and out, a lot of skill players potential, uh, considerably that were not out there. But it just seems more precautionary than anything else. Well, teams, the other thing is people said, like, I saw people freaking out about the number of players who weren't practicing. Teams hold out players for anything at this point. And they honestly, we're going to have to remember that when we get to training camp, too, because they'll they'll do the same thing in training camp. If if somebody had a season-ending injury at this point that they knew about, they would have gone on injured reserve like Daniel Scott did. That's that's the harsh reality of it. But that the teams are very careful with injuries this time of year. They don't want to have to put somebody on IR for participating in a June practice uh, if anything's going on. So that's it's not just the Colts. That's everybody around the league. Uh, they're pretty. Uh, they're they're going to be pretty cautious with things. We're we're getting here to the end of our time. Nate's got a radio interview coming up. He's got to do so. Uh, listeners of the Cover Two podcast, we hope you guys enjoy your summers. Uh, I'm I'm getting some time off. I'll be in you know all over the country in what Wisconsin and DC and and uh, Florida. Nate, you got anywhere you're going? I'm going to Chicago this weekend, and then uh, we'll see. Looking at a possible weekend in DC, but not a not a ton of travel yet. Uh, for me this summer, it's probably going to be a little bit more chilling around here and selling in a little bit more to Indy, but then, you know, travel during the season will come and it'll all work itself out. So, so we're going to get a break. You guys are going to get a break. Enjoy your summers. We will be back with the Colts cover two podcast when the Colts come back for training camp in the last week of July. Don't have the official date yet. So I'm, I'm, assume, I'm assuming the Colts will put those out at some point soon, but it's, it's always the last weekend in July. So for the Colts Cover 2 podcast, for Nate Atkins, for Joel A. Erickson, have a really nice next five weeks, and we'll be back ready to go 
uh, when they get going in Grant Park. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.